0: Welcome to Albert Camus Radio, and today we're going to be interviewing Dr. James Wofel, Dr. Jim Wolfel of formerly of the University of Kansas and Professor Emeritus at the University of Kansas. Welcome to Albert Camus Radio.
1: Thank you. Thank you. you Glad say. to be here.
0: All right. Here we go with the questions then. When and how did you first encounter Camus' work?
1: You know it's funny I I was trying to think about that and um by the time I was a junior senior in college I I had some interest in existentialism I took a senior philosophy course where one of our readings was Carly Jaspers mm-hmm. and so I got sort of interested and then Camus' book was um his well his novel the stranger was quite popular. So I read it and I actually didn't like it. <laughs> I, th- I think it just struck me at the wrong time. Yeah. But then of course, I got into graduate school, I read more of Camus and I was hooked.
0: Yeah. It seems like the stranger is. when I say typical, I don't mean mundane or boring. I mean, typical, most people make their entrance yeah. into Camus' world uh, through the stranger. And I was lucky. I discovered Camus ninety five probably, so I was actually able to read The First Man, as it was you know right, right. produced in English. So very rare that you could read for the first time uh, mm-hmm. something published length uh, of length by Camus at that time. So yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I got lucky in that way. I think Stranger was the first thing I read too. Uh, I still don't quite know. How I feel about that text. I mean I yeah, I don't the either. Importance.
1: I don't either. Yeah. After all these years. Yeah. <laughs> and teaching it over and over again. Yeah. I still don't know how I feel about it. Yeah.
0: And <laughs> students want you to have a really firm opinion of it. Right. And I'm right. like, I don't <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. same way. Yeah, that's good to yeah. hear. <laughs> what are your some of your favorite or what are your favorite lines from Camus and why?
1: Oh gosh. Um. You know, I think my favorite essay of Camus' is uh, Return to Tepasso, which was in his collection called Summer, he goes back after the war, returns to a place where, a beautiful place with Roman ruins where he had had so many happy times as a young man, and and he experiences he experiences a, a sense that amidst all the turmoil and suffering of the world, one has to keep within a source of freshness and joy, he called it. And I think one of my favorite lines is, um, in the midst of winter, I learned that there was in me an invincible summer.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, there are also some great lines uh, in the plague, which is why, of course, my all-time favorite Camus' novel um i think when uh early in the book when uh taru asks dr ria if he believes in god and he says no but what does that mean i'm struggling in the dark trying to make something out but i've long ceased finding that original <laughs> yes yeah. yeah 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 and then i guess i would say that I think the last page of the plague Uh
2: Uh
1: is one of the great works of literature and it's it's, yes. Some of the greatest lines in literature and it's, um, and it, and of course it is so timely. It is. is. I mean, that is our permanent condition as human beings. (laughs) It is. It is. The rats will always return. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely.
0: What a yeah. Those those lines just give me chills. Still. Uh, yeah. Thinking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah you, though you hit on some absolute fascinating pieces. So sort of in reverse order. To write the the plague and to have those stacked levels in there of meaning. Yes. It can become a gimmick that won't work.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the ways to avoid that being a gimmick is to nail the ending which he did mm-hmm. because it just locks them all together for me.
2: Yes. It just, yes.
0: It, it, you, yes, this right. is world war two, but yes, this is, this
1: is our condition. That's right. Right. Uh, that's and, here. and he's talking about pestilences or plagues in yeah. that wider sense yeah. that yeah. Tarou primarily introduced us to, you know, that it's all the things that terrorize people and cause yeah. suffering. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. It, it's, that's really important. I, I'm, that, lately that's been something that has really called uh, my attention to Camus work is the power of his opening lines and the power of his closing lines. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd like to take a little tour through his yeah, work. That's, just...
1: Yeah. I, 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 I heard you do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: With, with Gordon. Yeah. 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 That sort of came I mean, up I there. That, now I you, think that
1: was, I think that's a very good insight
0: yeah yeah and now you reinforce that with this power of cl- closing lines in the plague so yeah, yeah absolutely and the the tapasa piece yeah the tapasa the and then return to tapasa they're just they're wonderful pieces to read and and he's at his best when he's describing that mediterranean yes sort of classical roman world uh mm-hmm. that he falls in love with at that point so it, yeah, yeah. The, the, the work there is just yeah, outstanding with that so yeah really really good stuff all right do you consider Camus an african writer why or why not
1: uh uh no <laughs> no i i really don't um you know that's a that's a kind of complicated question it is. i mean he was a, a french colonial a pied noir mm-hmm. um and whose family i mean whose whose ancestry went back two or three generations in Algeria. Yeah, yeah. So he clearly felt himself part of Algeria.
2: Uh
1: Um, But he wrote very much like a European. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I think that, I I think part of the problem is, when we hear the, t- the, the word Africa,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we really think sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah. Yeah. We're not typically thinking of Morocco, Tunisia, mm-hmm. Algeria, Egypt, mm-hmm. I mean, you know. So that's, that's part of the problem, I think. But um, certainly he considered himself a Mediterranean man. Yeah. And I think that's very important. Yeah. He and he contrasts that with being an inland French person. Mm-hmm. Um, he certainly considers himself French, and of course, all French colonials were automatically citizens of France. Yes, So yeah.
0: <laughs> it is. It's a, it's a wonderfully complicated question because you've got the politics of France, you've got the politics of col- the colonial status, You've got right. his status is not um being being poor. Um, but he's French, he's not indigenous. But how many generations back does that count, like you said, you know, if you're no. fresh or if you're <laughs> multi-generational, you're born on the soil. Right. And it and it contributes to this, I think to his his fence sitting as time went on with the question in Algeria and he didn't pick a side because he couldn't.
1: Uh, and the, and the That's right. That's right. Opinion. That reminds me of another of my favorite lines when he says, and this is certainly a paraphrase, I would like I would like to be able to love my mother and also yes. love justice. Yes. Yeah, referring, I think, yeah. That was right in the middle of the Algerian revolution. Yeah. Yes, yeah.
0: absolutely. And then, yeah. then that becomes such a focal point of his position because he doesn't say much uh, else about it, about the Algerian Question at that time, and he's got. When you look at the early stuff, he's deeply involved with the indigenous population. The early newspaper articles about the, prob the conditions of the agricultural workers that were yeah. indigenous population uh, in Algeria, and he he makes an effort to bring. One of the reasons he splits with the well, the Communist Party splits with him is he wants the indigenous people included in this mm-hmm. workers' movement in Algeria, and the French Communist Party says we have to make a decision here. And we're just going to do it for the French, uh, yeah, and, Noir, mm-hmm. and separate ourselves from the Algerian, the indigenous population. So, yeah, it's tough, and it, it leaves a, i think, a long mark on him that way. Uh, yeah, as
2: being
0: in, but not. And he's and in France. It's the same situation. A lot of times, he's not really seen as French. He's seen as mm-hmm. colonial, there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah tough one, I think. But um,
2: you know, I, I in.
1: An issue that arises from the plague is that um, there aren't any Arabs yeah. in Laurent. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and yeah. and I, 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 I just have this sort of hypothesis that he is writing, he, and he's going to have a French publisher, oh. Gallimard, oh,
2: yeah. yeah.
1: based in Paris. Yep. And he is writing during the midst of World War II,
2: mm-hmm. when,
1: uh, I mean, the Allies took over Oran very early in the war, but yep. France was still occupied until very late. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I just, my feeling is that he, he was looking at Oran as though it were a French city.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. But yeah. I don't know how else to <laughs> account yeah. for that. So in when fact,
2: you
0: say he's writing to a French publisher, are you getting at the point that it would please Gallimard, the French publishing house, that it was mostly French, or the German censors that the Arab population well, wasn't included?
1: Uh that's that's a good issue. Um no, I I just think that of course his main readership was going to be in metropolitan France. Yeah, yeah. Um and and it was during the war and i but yeah i don't know what the censors might have made of it yeah, yeah. uh but yeah that's that again is is an uh, a <laughs> points to the ambiguity of his situation as a french colonial yes it does uh, absolutely yeah uh,
0: and and i think i guess creatively i'm not sure where that population would have fit in to the to the sort of correlation you're looking for with what was going on with the occupation in France, you know, there. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. It's up for him to decide creatively where they fit him. It could have been a creative um, mm. problem that just cut him out, you know. And, and in 19, you know, 46, we don't have um, sort of a consciousness of including those people in the narrative where That's right. Uh, right. a later publication editors probably would have said. What's going on here? You know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Right. Let's see. Next question. Which character that Camus created do you identify with personally and why?
1: Well, I'd have to say uh, Bernal Rieux. Yeah. Um, uh, and and i I, I admire the kind of courage he exhibited, uh, and the fact that he didn't think of it as courageous, yeah, yeah, that he just thought it was common decency.
2: yeah,
1: and um, And so, you know, he just, in a kind of straightforward, um, non he, he he's we we look to Taru to do all the philosophizing about the what's going on. Mm-hmm. But Ryu just does his job and he does it very well. Yeah. And he exhibits a great deal of compassion and this sort of thing. But he's just, he just, uh, he's an example of the courage of just, of what would be a, an ordinary physician in a city in, in uh, Algeria. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is that just yeah, dedication
0: to humanity. He's Camus moving towards that point of solidarity as being, you know the key virtue here, and and yes. that's what he's doing. Um, he's he's exhibiting that in the finest way. So yeah, great. That's a good one. Do you think Camus' work is dated, or is it timeless, or is it a mix?
1: Well, I think I think all the literature that we call great <laughs> uh, is a mix of yeah. the time the time bound and the timeless. I guess I would I would talk about Camus in terms of timeliness. Okay, great. I, th- yeah. I think he is an ever timely writer. Mm. And it's um, it's interesting to me that uh, with Camus, you've had revivals of interest in his work regularly through the decades since his yeah. death. In the 60s and 70s, early 70s, um, you know, it was it was the ideas in the Rebel, for example, mm-hmm. um, and with all the protests and so forth, and then, uh, and then again in the 1990s with the publication of the First Man,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, <coughs> there was a, a new round of attention. Yeah. And look at the coverage the plague has gotten yeah. <laughs> with yeah. the pen. With the pandemic. Yes, absolutely. And I think he is worn well in a way that I don't think Sartre has. I agree. And I think it's, I think it's that people see in him somebody really speaking about the, the uh, challenges and the experiences and sufferings of ordinary people. Yeah. Um, whoa, something knocked me off here. I still got you on my end. I there I go. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah, I think that I think that he's worn very well. And yeah. and it's it's and it's and it's that ethics of moderation of limits to human action, um of uh, and it's just not it's not flashy, it's just yeah. it's just the way humans ought to behave. <laughs> yeah, yes,
0: I love that expression yeah. of timeliness.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah.
0: He, I think he is ever timely, I yeah. really do. That's yeah. wonderful, because I imagine when the pandemic hit, news sources are looking for people to write some maybe extended pieces that would touch back on pieces of literature, and if you just did a Google search, the plague would come up. Oh yeah. <laughs> then you'd have to look at it. And you know, you get these really high end, you know, the Atlantic, um uh oh, yeah. using New York, York Times, Times. New Yorker, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the whole Helping stretch. into the plague again and seeing the parallels and not just in a in a way that, oh, you know, he wrote this then and it parallels with us now, but what can we learn from it? You know. Yes, exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yep what yeah. can we learn from this? Because you're right, it's 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 not flashy, it's common. Again, that's not um, derogatory,
1: that's that's a common. Well, that's, that commends it, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely it does. Camus is most often included in the Club of Western Philosophy. Granting this premise, what makes one a philosopher, one writer a philosopher and another not?
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I used My wife to...
0: actually came up with this question.
1: Who, what? My wife actually oh, came. Oh, oh yeah. Question. Okay. Well, it's a very good question. It's a great question. Because okay. I, think, I think often uh, philosophers have not taken Camus serious, yeah. seriously as a philosopher. Yeah. But uh, I, I think they're mistaken about that. Mm-hmm. I also can point to the fact that he, he published two long essays on, of philosophy. Yes. The Myth of Sisyphus and the Rebel, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and that is he was not content just to write novels, short stories, and plays. He he wrote reflective essays which embody a lot of philosophical stuff. I mean, like existentialism and the Myth of Sisyphus, and and he really did extensive research um, on the Rebel, and yeah. so. Um, I, I think he belongs there. He talked about philosophical novels in the Myth of Sisyphus. Yes. Uh, and and I certainly would say that he wrote philosophical novels. Yeah. Uh, not not obtrusively so. Not not and again not in the way Sartre or or say Beauvoir did. Yeah. But uh, but novels that were quite reflective mm-hmm. in in uh, as they, as they told a story, but yeah, I think he belongs there.
2: Uh, yeah.
1: He belongs in the, I mean, he didn't, he said, I'm not an existentialist because existentialism meant Sartre yeah. and they didn't yeah. agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but every anthology of existentialism includes Camus. So yeah. <laughs> I think he was an existentialist philosopher.
0: Yeah. I love that. I do that often when I've taught Camus is to try to get some sort of maybe Aristotelian approach to it. What are necessary conditions for one to be considered a philosopher and, right. get that up on the board. and then you look at Camus and get the students to try to develop a parallel list and how much it matches up. And then you drop that line on where, well, the person himself said he's not. So but we can say <laughs> yeah. he's wrong. You know, yeah. you, could, you could argue with Camus and he said, I'm not an existentialist, but you are. But I understand why you said it at the time. You know? yeah, so, yeah. Everything was being labeled it, uh, existentialist too. It that's was right.
1: Really, and it I mainly mean, meant Sartre. Yes, <laughs> that's what it I mean, sort of focused. As existentialism was being identified with Sartreanism.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it was, there's many veins of it. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's how you started your course too, was the distinction. We had a theistic and an atheistic um, line there of uh of existentialism and we sort of divided them up that way to begin with so um, that makes Mm -hmm. a huge difference yeah good answer okay um did Camus cultivate his physical public image his cult of personality or was it natural and not contrived
1: uh i don't think his i don't think of his public persona as contrived Mm -hmm. um I think he was pretty naturally the way he was, Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and I was always, William Barrett some years ago wrote a book called Among the Intellectuals, and, um, and he talked about the visits of the, he was talking about, of course, the New York intellectuals community, and he talked about the visits of sartre beauvoir and camus to america in the years immediately following the war and Camus clearly comes off as the the, the sort of um easy yeah. easy one to be with yeah he didn't feel like he had to be talking all the time he yeah. he liked to listen
2: <laughs>
1: yeah yeah and uh and so he comes. He comes across very well there, and there, his his I think natural modesty mm-hmm. comes across in Barrett's account. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I th- I think he was. I think he was pretty natural. I mean, people, various people didn't. Um, sometimes people thought he was a bit too righteous. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah too, too solemn about some things. Um, but, uh, no, I think he, I think he just was what he was.
0: I think so. Yeah. I tend to lean that way too. Um, that's, yeah, that, that, uh, those three interviews, or those three descriptions of how they acted in their natural environment is a fascinating read to, to see about the, the three, the contrast between the big three at that time. So,
1: yeah. And of great. course, a lot of women found him, Charming, irresistible. Yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, like more than occasionally, he um allowed it to happen too. So it was, right. um, I mean, I, I kind of knew that, I think, but um yeah, it just would have been fascinating to be able to observe the interactions and see um, see his presence uh, that way. There's there's some film of them, you know, and that's always great to see. You know, where you can get mm-hmm. a glimpse of of the person in action plan. Right. What's the biggest weakness in Camus work and why?
1: Oh, that's, um, <laughs> that's I, think, I think I'd say, well, one thing, just a kind of general remark on his writing is that um, I, I, you know, I cherish his emphasis on lucidity. But I think, that, I think that sometimes his lyricism is somewhat in competition with his lucidity. That is, that some things are not as clear as they might be because he expresses them in such lyrical form.
0: Ah, okay.
1: Uh, apart from that, I guess I would say that I think that his pl- plays are less successful than his novels yeah. and short stories yeah. and essays. Yeah. yeah. Which is ironic because he loved the theater. Yeah. He loved everything about the theater and in and his last years, he was back in Paris directing theater. Yeah.
2: yeah. And,
1: uh, but I, I, I would say he wrote one very good play and that was Caligula. Oh really? That's your which favorite. I actually, which I actually got to see performed in oh. London oh, uh, some great. years ago, and it really, it really was excellent. And oh. um, the others, he he tried to he tried to kind of get go back to this 17th century
2: mm.
1: playwriting style in France, uh, and I I don't think it worked as well. And where mm. you. Um, Although I don't know, I mean, the misunderstanding is probably works okay on stage, but um, I just don't think generally that his plays are as strong as his novels and stories and so forth. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree. Caligula is interesting, historically rooted, pushing. Everything to logical limits. The image of the moon is fantastic and yeah, yeah. Caligula, I have a real soft spot for the misunderstanding. I just love that play.
1: Actually, that's that that I would call that one number two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh I think it's I think it's the later plays like uh State of Siege and yeah. uh, the just assassins get a bit overworked. Yep, yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, good, yeah, interesting. If a biographical movie of Camus were to be made, who plays the who plays him in the movie, dead or alive?
1: I really racked my brain about that. <laughs> I mean, you know, one could one could one could uh, spontaneously say, "Oh, Humphrey Bogart." Yeah. No, but but actually, I think that would be a real mistake. I okay. mean, mm-hmm. Bogart could never have talked like yeah. like Camus. No, I finally decided that it should be Marcello Mastroianni. Okay. Yeah. Give us the a little had, bit of background on him. He had the he had the look. Well, of course, he was such a great Italian actor. Okay. Yep, great. And and he did play Merceau in the film version of The Stranger. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. He, he was he was handsome
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he was capable of being have of the kind of seriousness that in in roles that he played that I think <laughs> Camus exhibited. So my choice would be Mastroianni. Good, yeah, good choice. Um, I could see that developing
0: someday. He still has such wide popular culture appeal. Um, Yes, he does. He just, I keep a list in a kind of journal I have here on my desk when I see Kemu references pop up in pop culture and 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 sources like that and it's still very much um, Referenced uh, that way. So again, when we were talking earlier about Sartre and Camus' longevity, you see Camus rising in a yeah. less, I think, professional area of pop culture, but it's still there, uh, you know, yeah. in a strong
1: way. I think you're right. Well, isn't uh, isn't Camus still Gallimard's best selling author? Yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Still
0: the big horse in the in the stable there for, for Gallimard and. Um, right. Yeah. Did you watch um, the FX television series labeled Fargo? Oh, yes. Yes. A, gosh, season a- two is just littered with Camus. The, I think it's season two. It's the, the young woman in the butcher shop is always reading Camus. And the stamp that the brothers are after is Sisyphus rolling the, the rock up. Oh, and right, right. And I've never really been able to locate
1: who put that all in there. I've done some yeah. looking. Um, I complete I had for completely forgotten about all that. Yeah. Yep. I should yeah. go back and take a look at. It. <laughs>
0: yeah. The woman of the butcher shop has always got a cop paper trade paperback copy of Camus she's reading and
1: actually I think there was I th- think there was also an episode of The Sopranos oh, yeah. where Camu there's a there's a reference, somebody's reading. Yeah. or something like that yeah
0: you know. i think you're right yeah i think I, I made a note of that at one time and never really went back and looked at the episode so yeah that's yeah. there's something to that i don't think you could get too academic with it but there's maybe people that trade in that sort of notion of cultural studies could um yeah you know, make something of that but uh yeah there's something to that yeah <laughs> Um, in 1959, Camus said he was working on another novel that was not connected to The First Man, but it was going to be another original work. What do you think or hope that text was to be about?
1: You know, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I really, I, I mean, since The First Man is autobiography, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. uh I... I was wondering if maybe he would have written more, and kind of continuing the story. Yeah. But um, I, I just don't know. Um, yeah. And um, he, yeah, I, I, <laughs> uh, I mean, I suppose, I suppose, he might have done something more with the uh, religious. Maybe theme yeah um uh he was he was very taken with uh, Simone simon Bell and yeah. um as he had been of pascal pascal as yes. well i mean yeah. I, I think she and Pascal are both sort of similar sort of thinkers yeah um, but gosh i really i really don't know there was a yeah. the, there was a book on Camus by Conor Cruz O'Brien, yep. uh, Albert Camus of Africa and Europe, in which he, he said that, as of the uh, the fall, the last novel, uh, well, before first man, uh, yep. that he, he believed Camus had been converted. Yes, I, I I I was always skeptical about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I always argued that he was really an agnostic and not mm-hmm. an atheist. Yeah, I really did. And right. I think I think I think there's plenty of textual support for that. But um, gee, I don't know because I think the first man is such a wonderful narrative it that is. Um, I just wonder if he would have just kept on going. But I don't know.
0: Yeah, maybe a three-part there. There's some notes that he was, it was a trilogy, possibly this mm-hmm. piece. Um, and it's hard with Camus because a lot of these novel projects only took two years for him to write. Research, write, edit, okay. done. Um, so you don't get a long extension. There's lots of hints in the journals about, oh, I should write about this or I should write about that. Sometimes yeah. they converge and become one piece. Um, one of my favorite assignments I've given... Students in the past, is I uh, pulled out a bunch of those starter starters he had in the journals and had them finish it in like a 750 word short story. Mm-hmm. So Camus would say I should write about this, and then each one gets a different one, and and away they go with uh, projection on that. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard, um, really hard to know where it would go. And then there's that terrible book. Is it uh, what's the last person's name? Is it Mama? It's the Pastor and Camus. That came out with the. Oh right. Yeah, where they the there's no evidence for any of the claims that Camus was privately meeting with this past Methodist pastor. I think. Yeah. Was wanting to become Christian and there's no evidence
1: for it at all. Um, and that's the book in which the pastor, the pastor thinks that Camus' death was a suicide. Yes. Yeah. And it was from, from, it was because of the, his idea of the absurd, you know, it was too absurd. So he committed, and I thought, when I read that, I thought, Whoa, yeah. yeah. (laughs) That is really completely unfactual. (laughs) It is. It is absolutely. It remains on my bookshelf just
0: because it's a Camus book, but it is, it is one that's rough.
1: Right. um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) Rough to read. Have you heard the other one about, um, Kimu was killed by the soviets no there's an article somewhere i'll try to track it down and send it to you there's an article written somewhere that the soviets it was a um one of the ways that they were um, eliminating people that they didn't like was actually these devices that would drive a blade into a car tire and it was triggered when the car got up to a certain speed Uh, and Mm -hmm. because that was a tool that the, the KGB was using during the time somebody put the connection together that they wanted to eliminate Camus because he was you know not in favor of that style of communism so that's right, a, right. that's a weird one too out there <laughs> that is a
2: weird one <laughs> yeah.
0: have you ever gone to the death site or the grave or anything in no I haven't I, I haven't never, never got yeah. there no yeah. it's it seems like a big journey to leave Paris and go that far away um, to see the grave, but I'd like to someday,
1: certainly too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm I'm currently I'm mostly through reading a biography of Virginia Hall, who was an American who was one of the supreme spy masters in World War II. I mean, she was. It, I mean, it reads like a spy thriller, but it's all true, you know, and. She talks about staying in the same boarding house that Camus stayed in. In this was in southern. This was in uh, Le Chambon-sur-Lignon mm-hmm. uh, when he was there in the earlier part of the war, for okay. uh, because of his tuberculosis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but uh, she she mentions being in the area where he had been. In the same area. No, mm. yeah, same See. area.
0: Yeah. <laughs> this is the final question then, Ron. Um, who would you like to see Camus debate, living or dead, and what topic would you want them
1: to debate? Oh, gosh. And I think you, I, I can't say Sarge. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really a hard one. And that's, that's the one I just. Um, hit a brick wall trying to think about, um, gee.
2: Yeah, I I don't want to just sit
1: here and oh and ah, um, but it's, I sort of, I can, I can imagine him debating somebody about his, uh, his literary work yeah, I yeah. can also imagine him debating somebody about his philosophical reflections.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but, wow. <laughs> Maybe it would be an interesting debate with his fellow French-Algerian, uh, oh. go.
0: Yeah, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> there you go. That's a good one. <laughs> that is a very very good one because there'd be so much common ground um, that they would have even the Venn diagram would sort of overlap a lot between those two. So it'd be really interesting to see where that would go. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 That's a uh, and and also of course Derrida got into uh, issues of religion and uh, so that yeah and I heard I heard Derrida it was a whole conference really devoted to him and his work and he was there this was in 2001 and and what i discovered was that he was much clearer in person <laughs> Isn't that funny? than he was in his books <laughs> wow so, so maybe if he were on the debate stage with Camus, <laughs> yeah he'd be clear <laughs> yeah
0: that would that would yeah because we said he was better live than he was in, in writing then yeah. I, I think really that would
1: be <laughs>
0: that would be a fascinating um debate. Well the last piece I want to pull up is one I warned you about. I did um take my uh <clears throat> learn cut my teeth on Camus underneath you and I, I'm forever in debt uh to that because it has been a wonderful career choice to specialize in Camus and one of the highest compliments I was ever paid was by a colleague of mine I graduated with at KU that said that um, Eric has managed to carve out a full-time professorship uh, working in continental philosophy, which is not easy in the United States.
2: That's true. <laughs>
0: That's true. There's very few yeah. of us yeah. <laughs> that have managed to um, do that. I've had to, I've had to develop a skill to teach ethics to keep a paycheck coming in but um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's not an easy yes. thing to do. No, no, that's,
1: that's a privilege. It
0: is. Oh, <laughs> well, it is such a privilege. Um, yeah, and I have all the, all the notes that I took um, uh, in your course and a couple of my editions of my of Camus in the English are uh, littered with notes too that I took uh, when you taught that class. But it's this particular handout, or to reference one of our loved uh, friends that's passed on a pass out, uh, Tony Genova always called him a pass oh
1: yes a pass Is, out
0: this uh, comparison yeah. oh chart yes
1: that you, yeah. yes that was my chart my camera yeah,
0: that you did on the aspects of uh, of Camus' thought with Christianity and Camus on the other side and mm-hmm. absurdity faith revolt uh, etc on there so i wanted to express to you my view uh, it's always Dr. Wolfel in my head still. Uh, my deep thanks, uh, Dr. Wolfel, for the time that we've been able to spend together since 1999. Um, it's been fantastic. So I do owe you a great, uh, great deal of thanks for launching me, showing confidence in me, and launching me on a, on a very satisfying life, so professionally.
1: Well, thank you very much. And, uh, and I must say, I, I am deeply grateful for our friendship, which has lasted well beyond yeah. graduate school. Yes. Yeah, that was, that's been a real gift to me.
0: Yeah, it's been, it has been yeah. great. Well, I'm going to stop the recording now and thank you. Okay. And
1: uh, thank you for your time, Dr. Wolfel. You bet. Great to talk to you. Best of luck. <laughs> thank you.